the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network presents Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis. Each week, Joan brings you news from inside the Vatican and the church around the world, as well as interviews and answers to your questions. Now, here's the host of Vatican Insider, Joan Lewis. Welcome to Vatican Insider on this Christmas time and New Year's weekend. After all, don't forget it is still the Christmas season. In what is usually the interview segment after the news, I've prepared what I hope is a fascinating Christmas story, a special in which I bring you to Italy to learn how the Vatican, Rome, and Italians celebrate Christmas and New Year's. Christmastide is as wonderful here as you can imagine, and I think you'll want to invite family members, especially children, to sit around and listen. And now, some of the week's news highlights. I'll actually briefly list some of the other news this week, but devote most of this report to the big news story of the week regarding the health of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. Wednesday, December 28th, Feast of the Holy Innocents. At the end of the general audience, in words that surprised and saddened those present in the Paul VI Hall, Pope Francis said, I would like to ask you all for a special prayer for Pope Emeritus Benedict, who is supporting the Church in silence. Please remember him. He's very ill, asking the Lord to console him and to sustain him in this witness of love for the Church until the end. Holy See Press Office Director Matteo Bruni later issued a communique. Regarding the health conditions of the Pope Emeritus, for whom Pope Francis asked for prayers at the end of this morning's general audience, I can confirm that in the last few hours there has been an aggravation due to advancing age. The situation at the moment remains under control, followed constantly by the doctors. At the end of the general audience, Pope Francis went to the Mater Ecclesiae Monastery to visit Benedict XVI. We join him in praying for the Pope Emeritus. A well-informed Vatican source told the Catholic Herald on Wednesday evening that Benedict was not suffering from any particular grave illness, but is gradually wearing out and fading away due to his advanced age. The source confirmed a report in the National Catholic Register that Benedict had a recent modification to his pacemaker, but described this, along with reported kidney failure, as typical of old age, rather than due to a specific illness or disease. Thursday, December 29th, Holy See Press Office Director Matteo Bruni issued another statement saying, The Pope Emeritus was able to rest well last night. He is absolutely lucid and alert, and today, notwithstanding the gravity of his condition, the situation at the moment is stable. Pope Francis renews his invitation to pray for him and to accompany him in these difficult hours. As can be imagined, the Vatican has reported that people around the globe are praying for Benedict XVI at the invitation of Pope Francis, as the Pope Emeritus's health remains stable but under observation by his doctors. Christians as well as non-Christians have responded in droves to Pope Francis's request for prayers for the German-born Pope Emeritus. Cardinal Blaise Supich, Archbishop of Chicago, tweeted his spiritual support and urged everyone to ask for the Lord's grace to help sustain Pope Benedict as he has sustained the Church through his silent witness. 
Cardinal Timothy Dolan, Archbishop of New York, issued a similar statement and invitation, expressing great faith in God's goodness. The Archbishop of Westminster, Cardinal Vincent Nichols, added his voice, praying that God might sustain and console him at this time. Catholics in Ukraine also joined in the spiritual chorus for the Pope Emeritus after Major Archbishop Zviatoslav Shevchuk urged the Synod and all the faithful of the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church to pray. The whole Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church wants to unite in prayer around this great witness of our times, thanking him for his silent witness as Pope Emeritus, and at the same time remembering and seeking to put into practice his work for the unity of the Church, which was an extraordinary feature of his pontificate. The major archbishop met with Benedict at his residence in the Vatican's Mater Ecclesia Monastery on November 10th. He later recounted that the Pope Emeritus was, quote, incredibly lucid, informed, and solicitous about the situation in Ukraine and had assured his prayers for the Ukrainian people. The chief rabbi of the Jewish community of Rome, Ricardo Di Segni, also tweeted his prayerful support for Benedict. Concerned about the news of the health of Pope Emeritus Benedict, I join in prayers that he may overcome the ordeal and recover soon. The president of the Italian Bishops' Conference, Cardinal Matteo Zuppi, urged Italians to gather around the Pope Emeritus in prayer at this trying time, recalling Benedict's own transcription of his mission following his resignation from the papacy. His remaining in a new way with the crucified Lord, continuing to accompany the path of the Church with prayer and reflection, constitutes a strong message for the ecclesial community and the whole society. As I record this news report, it is Friday, December 30th, the Feast of the Holy Family. The Cardinal Vicar of Rome, De Donatus, is scheduled to preside at a Mass at 5.30 for Pope Emeritus Benedict, this in St. John Lateran Church, the Cathedral Church of the Bishops of Rome. In other news this week, Sunday, December 25th was, of course, Christmas Day, and Pope Francis, appearing on the central balcony of St. Peter's Basilica, gave the annual Urbi and Orbi to the city and the world, address and blessing. December 26th, Feast of St. Stephen is a big holy day and holiday in the Vatican and Italy, and the Pope recited the Angelus from his study window with the faithful gathered in St. Peter's Square. Wednesday, December 28th, the Holy Father Francis presided at the general audience and focused his catechesis on St. Francis de Sales. He announced that the Vatican that day was publishing his apostolic letter, Totum Amoris Est, on the fourth centenary of the death of St. Francis de Sales. So few news stories this week, but now stay tuned for my special on how the Vatican and Rome and Italians celebrate Christmas and New Year's. He is honored by the Church as a saint and the first diocesan priest to be declared a doctor of the Church. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church St. John of Avila was known to his contemporaries as a spiritual master, and he served as a guide to some of the greatest saints of the 1500s. He also called for true reform in the Church and was a role model for the priesthood even today. He died 
1569. To find out more, visit EWTN.com and click on Catholicism. The EWTN home video highlight for December is the EWTN Family Christmas Special. The Choir of the Eternal Word Television Network performs classical Christmas carols with a special commentary by Father Joseph Mary Wolf. Order your DVD or CD at EWTNRC.com 24 hours a day, 7 days a week or call 1-800-854-6316. Prayer is a variety of forms of communication. Sometimes we simply greet one another, hi, how are you? And we say small, short prayers similarly to God. Other times we engage people in deep conversations. Other times we engage our families and family reunions and big meals. Similarly with God, we engage Him in Eucharist and deep meditation as well. Welcome back to Vatican Insider. Here's Joan Lewis. Welcome to the interview segment of Vatican Insider this Christmas season and New Year's weekend. And welcome to the special I've prepared for you where I bring you to the Vatican and to the Eternal City. And together we will explore how Christmas and the New Year are celebrated in this magnificent and magical city. In 2020 and 2021, many events and gatherings were scaled down or even eliminated during the Christmas season because of COVID. But thank the Lord, things have returned to normal here and are in high gear as I speak. In any case, we must never forget the reason for the season. No matter where we are, no matter how small or large the gathering, when we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We also celebrate the Holy Family, a model for all families. No beautiful trees, no fancy wrappings for presents, no gorgeous home decorations can equal the uniqueness and beauty of this day we call Christmas. Welcome to Rome, where the churches, piazzas, fountains, and palazzi are old, but the spirit is young. Welcome to a city whose traffic, irrational parking, and inconsistent store hours can drive you to distraction but whose magic persuades you to come back frequently, if not to stay forever, as I decided to do decades ago. The bureaucracy can be maddening, and quite often the Italians use their inexplicable knack of finding the longest possible route to accomplishing a task. But that's all part of the fun. Italians have managed for millennia to deal with the idiosyncrasies of life here, described by one writer as, quote, the splendid eternal chaos and they respond by rolling with the punches. In Italian, this is called l'arte di arrangiarsi, the knack of getting along. If something isn't working, they shrug their shoulders and they say pazienza, patience, and eventually it works. You will be enchanted by Rome and by the Vatican, as millions have been before you. The magic is there. It pulsates, vibrates, and defies description. It's in the history, the art, the majestic basilicas, elegant bridges, splendid piazzas, cobblestone streets, bubbling fountains, and the symphony of church bells. The magic is in the smile of a flower vendor, the rich baritone of a waiter who unexpectedly serenades you, or the exuberance of a child playing with the pigeons in Piazza Navona. It's in the air of a deserted city on a Sunday morning, when the city seems to belong to you alone 
or the startling quiet of St. Peter's Square in the pre-dawn hours as black-robed Monsignori hurry along to say Mass. It's in the joy of gathering with friends to dine on some of the most scrumptious cooking this side of paradise. If you've guessed I love Rome, you are certainly right. And even though I cannot personally show you around Rome at this beautiful and blessed time of Christmas, we can visit it together through this program. All of Rome's magical beauty is magnified, or so it seems, at Christmas. The flower stands are awash in red as poinsettias flood the floral market. Hotels and stores put on their Christmas finery, of course, and hundreds of streets and piazzas in the center and on the periphery of Rome string miles of twinkling lights across them, welcoming the resident or visitor with auguri, best wishes, or buon Natale, Merry Christmas. If you're used to the Christmas lights and decorations found on homes and in stores and malls in the United States, this is not quite as lavish, but Italy has its own charm. There are, as you can imagine, some very special occasions and very special places to visit during the Christmas season here in Rome and at the Vatican. Let's start our visit at the Vatican. Forty years ago, in 1982, Pope St. John Paul decided that St. Peter's Square should have a nativity scene flanked by a Christmas tree. For years, the Vatican's engineers and technical services created stunning presepi, Italian for nativity scene, changing the theme in the buildings every year. With cost-cutting measures enacted a few years ago, the work of building a nativity scene was outsourced, so to speak, and regions of Italy or other countries in Europe and elsewhere, and even organizations, offered to host a presepi in the famous square. Christmas trees in the square are also special, with tall, majestic trees donated over the decades by Austria, Germany, Switzerland, Slovenia, and various regions of Italy. Workers usually spend one week securing the tree in place and decorating it and placing the giant star that glows on and off at the top. It beckons one and all to come to St. Peter's Square, especially at night, with the thousands of lead lights now used. Whatever country donates the tree for St. Peter's Square usually also donates a number of smaller trees for the Papal Apartment, the Paul VI Hall, and other halls and offices of the Roman Curia. Unfortunately, few can be seen by outsiders, and I'm sorry because I've had the privilege of seeing a number of them, and they are wonderfully decorated. You must, of course, go to St. Peter's Basilica and see the nativity scene there. It's on the left aisle, close to the Basilica entrance. Before we leave the Vatican, I'd like to tell you about the blessing of the Bambinelli, the statues of baby Jesus that takes place on the third Sunday of Advent, and it's really quite lovely. That's Gaudete Sunday, a Sunday for rejoicing that falls midway between the start of Advent, a liturgical season of anticipation, and the joy of Christmas Day when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is born. Children of all ages and from all over Rome, and sometimes other towns and cities in Italy, bring statues of the baby Jesus to be blessed by the Pope at the end of the Angelus. These statues are placed in the cribs of nativity scenes in homes and schools. Often you will see a child holding up two or even three statues for the papal blessing as they bring baby Jesus for a friend who could not come that day. This tradition was started by Pope St. Paul VI in December 1969. 
The presepe or presepio is traditionally the main focus of Christmas decorations in Italy, in homes and schools, in workplaces, and, of course, in the tens of thousands of churches throughout the land. You can walk into any church in Rome at Christmas time and you will find a nativity scene. Small or large, rustic or citified, simple or elegantly crafted by specialists. Make sure you have your camera with you and pop in and out of Roman churches and basilicas to document this beautiful tradition. A number of restaurants even feature lovely nativity scenes. From the word presepium, presepe loosely means stall and refers to the scene of the newborn Jesus Christ sleeping in a simple country manger attended by Mary and Joseph and later by the kings who came from afar. Christians have long incorporated visual presentations into their seasonal customs. In the 4th and 5th centuries, the Nativity and the Adoration of the Magi were common themes for church decoration. In 1223, the Presepe gained fame with St. Francis of Assisi, who arranged his own living Presepe, a straw-filled, animal-laden stall set in a grotto in the town of Greccio. This has been replicated every year since then. In the 18th century, Neapolitan fashion dictated the transformation of Presepi from assemblies of rustic miniatures to grand spreads of intricately sculpted figurines in elaborately conceived architectural plans. Entire towns and villages are recreated with hundreds of figures placed on hills, in fields, in homes, and piazzas. There are aqueducts, trees, running water, fireplaces, people at work, and children at play. Such Persepi can be seen throughout Italy today. They are often breathtaking in size and scope, in their beauty, and their incredible attention to the smallest detail. I have several friends who have recreated such towns in their homes, albeit on a smaller scale. Churches in Rome, known for their spectacular Presepi, include Santa Maria in Via and Largo Chigi, Saints Cosmas and Damien, the Gesù, and Santa Maria in Araceli, with its 16th century Presepio, and the famous wood statue of a rather plump baby Jesus, known as Il Santo Bambino, the Holy Child. Today, one can see only a copy of this statue, as the original 15th century statue, made from wood from the Garden of Gethsemane in Jerusalem, was stolen in 1994 and sadly never recovered. Baby Jesus was not even offered for ransom. Watching over an altar strewn with letters written and mailed to him, the Santo Bambino resides in a secluded chapel at the back of the church, with his rosy-cheeked face poking out of swaddling clothes rich with gold and pearls. Come midnight on Christmas Eve, however, he's lifted from his bejeweled case to join the ceremony on Capitoline Hill in his honor. Romans and tourists alike climb the 124 candle-lit steps leading up to Santa Maria in Araceli to view the baby in his manger in the church's presepe and to bestow upon him the traditional epiphany kiss. The church gets many letters addressed to the Holy Child, and these are placed before the statue unopened. They're for baby Jesus, not for the priests or anyone else. Really special is St. Mary Major Basilica. Under the high altar is the Crypt of the Nativity, or the Bethlehem Crypt, with a crystal reliquary designed by Giuseppe Valadier, said to contain wood from the Holy Crib of the Nativity of Jesus Christ. 
Pope Francis in 2019 authorized a very small fragment of this crib reliquary to be returned to Bethlehem in Palestine. Also in St. Mary Major is the burial place of St. Jerome, the 4th century doctor of the church who translated the Bible into the Latin language, the Vulgate. A must-visit nativity scene is that built by Rome's Netorbini, the street cleaners of AMA, the Municipal Waste Management Company. Located just minutes from St. Peter's Square on a small side street, Via dei Cavalleggeri No. 5, this is actually open all year round. Pope John Paul visited this presepe all but the last two years of his 26-year pontificate. Other visitors have included Pope Benedict XVI, Mother Teresa of Calcutta, and a succession of Rome's mayors and Italian politicians. Tucked away in an ex-storeroom on a side street near St. Peter's Basilica, you can easily think you're mistaken when you walk up to the building in a setting that is so humble and unpretentious that anyone not in the know would walk right past. The entrance, in fact, is the doorway leading into a courtyard that houses an unprepossessing block of premises belonging to AMA. There are, however, signs on nearby streets that lead the visitor to this site. You might also want to visit the Hundred Cribs or the Hundred Presepi exhibit that has found its way into Rome's cultural, tourist, and social life under the auspices of the Dicastery for the Promotion of the New Evangelization. The exhibit is now hosted under the left-hand colonnade of St. Peter's Square. There are countless masterpieces from Italy and around the world in this exhibit, and it's well worth a visit as you behold nativity scenes made of coral, silver, porcelain, iron, wood, papier-mâché, and even recycled materials. Now, Piazza Navona, one of Rome's most beautiful and popular squares, until recently was a huge Christmas market in December with stands selling nativity scenes, Christmas trees, ornaments, lights, sweets, toys, and a few surprises as well. Some things have been downsized a bit in the last two years, but the historical square is always magical. It has forever been a favorite destination for children for another reason. It is a tradition that each year, each family or child will pick out one new figurine for the nativity scene that's built at home. Navone in December has always been a great place to find these terracotta figurines, but the real capital of Christmas figurine making is Naples. The place to go is Via San Gregorio Armeno. Just Google Naples and the words nativity scene or presepe. A few years ago, Santa on a rope became fashionable. Since there are very few, if any, chimneys in Italian cities, this means no roof for Santa and his sleigh. Thus, these cloth Santas on a ladder get hung from windowsills. On Christmas Eve, a meatless dinner, in fact almost always fish, is traditionally eaten with one's family. This is followed by a visit to a nativity scene and midnight mass. Many midnight masses now actually start just in late evening, such as that presided over by the popes in St. Peter's Basilica. It's now called the Christmas Vigil Mass. Another popular Christmas figure you will find here and in many stores is the Befana, a witch-like figure who rides a broomstick and brings coal to bad children and candy to good children. Befana is a breakdown of the word epiphany, and many, in fact, call her the Epiphany Witch because she arrives the night of the Epiphany to fill children's stockings with her gifts. 
Yet another Italian tradition is to buy a small ornament-sized broom with Christmas ribbons on it. This is called a scacciaguai, and it symbolizes the sweeping away of one's troubles. Bonfires are often held on Christmas Eve in the main square of many towns, especially in mountain areas. Dinner on Christmas Day is usually meat-based and again brings the family together. December 26th, the Feast of St. Stephen, Santo Stefano, is also a big holiday in Italy, and it's the best day for winding down and recovering from gastronomic overindulgence. New Year's Eve is like most other places in the world, festive dinners, entertainment, and high prices. Fireworks have for decades played a really major role in Italy at New Year's, and you'll hear cracking and exploding sounds for quite some time starting at midnight. Naples is known for its fireworks as they are manufactured there. But I've been in Naples for a New Year's Eve celebration, and every home, every balcony, every apartment building balcony or roof had explosions of colorful fireworks. It seemed to last forever. By the noise, you'd have thought you were in a war zone. This is Italy, so food is of paramount importance. The New Year menu will include lentils that symbolize wealth and prosperity, and sausage meat, which again means good fortune for the coming year, because it is a rich food symbolizing abundance. The meal will likely end with grapes, as they will ensure that you will be frugal with your newfound wealth, because it was thought that only someone with excellent willpower could save the grapes from the spring harvest until the New Year meal. Of course, there's the ubiquitous panettone, a sweet bread that originated in Milan and is a national symbol at Christmas. At Italian New Year's Eve parties in homes, people often settle around the table for a game of tombola. It's very similar to bingo. Tombola was created in Naples in the 1700s as an alternative to gambling, which the church did not approve of. Now let's move to January 6th, Feast of the Epiphany. The Epiphany is, of course, the twelfth day of Christmas, when the three wise men gave baby Jesus their gifts. In some families, Epiphany is a bigger celebration than Christmas, and for many, the end of the Christmas season. Until a few years ago, the official end of the Christmas season at the Vatican was the February 2nd feast of the presentation of the child Jesus in the temple, and the tree and nativity scene always remained in St. Peter's Square until that day. Under Pope Francis, the end of the season event is usually the baptism of Jesus the second Sunday of January. Now, we must note, and you might laugh, another all-pervasive custom, the wearing of red underwear. The color red has been used for centuries to ward off war and other disasters. It can be seen in most shop windows in the lead-up to New Year. Hopefully you can make it to Rome some year for the Christmas holidays. It's really a special treat. Now, before I close, I want to wish all of my radio listeners, TV viewers, and blog readers a blessed, beautiful, and holy Christmas, and a happy, healthy New Year filled with many special moments and people. Above all, may God sit on your shoulder. For more information on these stories or to check out Joan's blog and to ask her a question, go to EWTN.com. That's EWTN.com. Thanks for listening to Vatican Insider on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.